Welcome to part two of The Democracy Dilemma with American political philosopher Jonathan Anomaly. In part one, we discussed book eight of Plato's Republic, in which the Greek philosopher argued that Athenian democracy was a sham, a total disaster. He says that democracy is anarchy mistaken as freedom. Plato believed that this freedom leads to chaos and the state degenerates into mob rule. This leads to the emergence of a tyrant. In this episode, we'll examine similarities between Plato's observations and our own democratic world today, including how a society hell-bent on freedom has delivered us gender ideology, health mandates, and a slew of politically correct woke decrees which seek to stymie democratic principles rather than advance them. We'll also ask the question, are we really living under a democracy? Or has a new tyrant emerged? in the form of a global technocratic dictatorship. So, talking about the current world that we're in right now, where I think if you were to ask people on the street what the word democracy means to them, you'd almost have an unresoundingly positive response in terms of people saying it means there'd be a lot of buzzwords. It means equality, tolerance. Um, all yep. these sorts of things, which perhaps it, it did to begin with until that, as Plato says, gets a little bit out of hand and you sort of end up with chaos. Yeah. Uh, yet we're still being told that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, actually, this is kind of a new refrain, at least in the United States, that, that the idea that everything's about democracy it's not actually in in some ways you know they don't like talking about liberty very much right or or the constitution sometimes you hear politicians talk about it but generally they're talking about the the latest phrase is our democracy and they'll say things like you know usually trump or you know republicans or whatever the boogeyman is it's a threat to quote our democracy and so that's the fundamental thing and then you say oh yeah but people voted for this this thing right and they'll say, oh, well, we don't, it's not that, that's not democratic, right? Or you say, but isn't populism just, you know, the, the, the democratic majority ruling, right? And, and they'll say, oh, no, 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 that's not what populism is, you know? So they're often just using the word to mean whatever it is that consolidates their power or whatever it is that they consider good. Yeah. So yeah, policymakers, journalists, and then by extension, ordinary people, they reflect what they hear. They're just misusing the term. For the most part, absolutely, anyway. and and also the problem with democracy is it's very easy to um, to manipulate or mislead people to kind of override existing rights, which is what a lot of people outside of America, maybe even inside of America right now, don't actually realize that they're not a democracy; they're a constitutional republic, right. and a republic mm-hmm. a republic puts the power in the hands of individual citizens, whereas a democracy pretends to put it in the in the hands of the individual citizens in my opinion it's a good way to put it because well the founders certainly saw that they 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 agreed with that anyway the point of a constitution and especially of a bill of rights in the constitution is precisely anti-democratic it quite literally is hostile toward democracy that's the point the point is to say um i know that you want to vote on what i can say but you know, no, you don't get to. You don't get to vote on what I say. So if a majority forms 
and they say that's offensive speech, the point of a Bill of Rights is to say, screw the majority. That's not interesting, right? Mm. Um, you get to you get to uh, own a gun, or you get to defend yourself, or say what you like. Uh, obviously, without short of you know directly inciting violence and that sort of thing, you basically get to say what you want or believe what you want. That's the point. It's actually an anti-democratic device, and a lot of people don't realize that. It's kind of this this weird double think they have, where it's like I'm for the Constitution, and I'm for democracy. In a way, they're incompatible, or at the very least, you have to say, look. At least if you like republicanism, that is the, the kind of American system, you have to at least agree that democracy maybe has a place, but it should be extremely constrained. I think it is incompatible. Uh, if we were to take Plato's rendition of how you know these regimes follow each other, um, which I, I think is illustrative, if we look at what's happening right now, um, in the past two years, we've seen yeah. a lot of what many people are considering, considering um, tyrannical laws, at least in this in the the realm of public health. Um, there are even more tyrannical laws in the realm of things like gender ideology. Um, so we're seeing tyranny unfold. Ah, uh, yeah, and that's the last form. Democracy degenerates into tyranny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and God, I mean, the I hate to always use examples from the United States, but it's easier for me just because you know I keep up with what's going on here. Just this week, right? We had this bill passed, a trillion dollars almost, in which the, the the Democrats called it a bill to fight inflation. But of course, you don't fight inflation by spending more money. That's preposterous. But that's what they called the bill. But what, what's actually in the bill is they're doubling the number of IRS agents, that's Internal Revenue Service. So these are the people who go out and try to extract taxes from people as if that's a way of fighting inflation. I mean, it's, it's such a perfect example of kind of late stage liberal democracy where we're sliding into this kind of tyranny. Mm. What do you do at the end stages of a civilization? You try to extract as much wealth and power from the citizens as possible collect their guns, uh, raise their taxes, more efficiently enforce those taxes, <laughs> make the tax system extremely confusing so that you can prosecute them you know, pretty easily. And I mean, mm. that sounds like some kind of weird conspiracy or something, but they're doing it. They just passed a bill that does it. They now made the IRS one of the most powerful agencies in the entire government, much more powerful than most other agencies. That's really remarkable. And they did that in the name of helping the people, right? Of fighting inflation. So they're going to raise our taxes, spend more of our money to hire more IRS agents. And then they're going to tell us to our face, we're doing what's good for you. <laughs> it's, it's such a joke. You can't, you know, you can't make it up. It's gaslighting at its finest, really. It sure is. Another part of that tyranny for me during COVID-19 that I think, you know, whether or not someone wants to call this conspiratorial, I don't really care. I'm just sort of saying this is what happened. Yeah. Is that in the midst of the the panic and the kind of insanity during COVID, right in the, the middle of it all, when they were whipping up, basically telling people to go out and get tested, in, in this country at least, even if you have a headache, go and get tested. So there were 
record numbers of pathology tests being done. And those, mm. well, you know, those pathology tests cost money and that money comes out of the taxpayer and goes straight up to the biggest pathology companies in the world. And they're then represented by hedge funds or private funds. So we saw this, and that's just yeah. one example of pathology, but it was across the board in all aspects. We saw governments yep. spending collectively trillions of dollars of the taxpayer's money, and it just got sucked up into the hands of uh, the richest again. Yeah, it's a good example. And of course, I mean, people have talked about Pfizer and other companies actively lobbying. But yeah, and yeah. I just add, let me just add briefly on that, just finally, is that's evident, evidentiary, right? We know that that yep. happened. So why should people, why should the richest of the rich be allowed to profit off a pandemic? Yeah. I mean, we know that some of these companies that develop the vaccines, I mean, they're some of the biggest lobbyists to mandate them, right? And even after we know, like, you know, whatever efficacy they have, they probably minimize some risks for the elderly and so on. But there's no good reason to think that children should be vaccinated, but it doesn't stop them from doing it, you know? And, and when when people resist giving them to their children because they're experimental, it's like, yeah, now they engage in shaming campaigns. So again, you know, you can talk about democracy and, you know, democracy in theory, it's fine. It's just making choices, right? But we always have to think who's conditioning the choices. And it's not like it's always a giant conspiracy, but there are often, you know, there there is often a literal conspiracy, but more often it's just... Um, either different interest groups like large corporations or different ideologies who are constricting what we can think by restricting what you can say on social media, in the, in the news media and so on. And that is all too real. I mean, we saw many examples of that, right? Let's just label what you just said, Nick, misinformation and delete you from Twitter. And that has been done to you, right? And many other people. That's right. I was the democratic man. I got a little bit too lazy, <laughs> a bit too, and, and, uh, and you know, look, here's what happens. And in, in uh, this is just my theory on this. After discussing what we've been discussing, is that if democracy is flawed because not so much of the blueprint of democracy, but of the kind of unfettered freedom that it allows the human being, uh, it's not yep. it's not going to lead to that eudaimonia. Right. It's going to push the human away from that. So we're not going to see now tyranny or a, a dictatorship in the same way we've seen Hitler or because we're in a different place, we're going to see tyranny through um, what we call technocracy. Yes. Excellent point. And technocratic tyranny has now come. I believe we're firmly in that right now. And they're still using democracy to blind us from that point yes yeah no that's right so tyranny can come from a thousand sources not just like one man right it doesn't have to be you know big brother it doesn't have to be stalin it can be a conglomeration of pfizer the universities you know and of course they're not you know motivated by pure evil and the, the individual members don't have to be motivated by pure evil but you know they're motivated by their narrow interests of profit or ideology or whatever. And many of them probably think they're doing the right thing, but that doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it not tyranny. Um, you know, I don't think that Pfizer or Anthony Fauci or your local university professors 
is the kind of wise wise guide that you would want, right? They're they're not disinterested. No. They're 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 manipulating in many ways. It's almost uh, an amalgam of the oligarchic man and the tyrannical man because you can't have tyranny by one man in a global system like this. You can still get it in a nation state, right? You might get it in a, a tin pot African country. Or a communist you know, country like Venezuela or something, Cuba. Yeah, yeah. But, they, but arguably they never had democracy in, the form, no. in this form to begin with. It was always uh, a state of kind of village or tribeness and then went into the democratic. Yeah, and, and Nick, we should say, I mean, you know, we're talking about a passage in the Republic here. Obviously, a lot of Plato's views were colored by his experience. And I should mention that his experience of democracy was pretty brutal. Remember that Plato's teacher was Socrates and Socrates was killed by the mob, by a literal democratic mob who basically said, look, you're asking the wrong questions. And by doing that, you're corrupting the youth. And so we're going to try you for the crime of corrupting the youth. And because he believed in one God rather than many gods, that was considered also heretical. And so they tried Mm. Socrates for two crimes, denying the gods of the state and corrupting the youth. And they succeeded. They executed him. And Plato saw that not just that episode, but there were many episodes in his lifetime where the limited democracy that Athens was was basically, you know, again, a kind of tyranny in disguise. It degenerated from a kind of aristocracy to the rule by the the wealthy and the well-connected to democracy. But again, it was democracy controlled by the the well-connected and the unwise. And he saw the consequences. Now, does it have to be that way? Maybe not, right? So, you know, maybe if it's controlled by, you know, the right kind of constitution, like we've talked about, you know, you can imagine at least democracy in some forms actually flourishing as long as it's, you know, I I imagine constrained in certain ways. So I I do want to add, you know, we have to think about it within the context of Plato's experiences, but I still think that that doesn't undermine his critique of democracy. Um, It's just to contextualize it a bit. Sure. If anything, I think it, it actually draws a very powerful analogy to where we are today, which is that Socrates was um, voted to be killed by about what fifty-one percent to forty-nine, something right, like that. Right, right. Now, what does that remind you of? Well, if we take the twenty twenty election on face value, Biden got eighty-one million votes, but Trump got seventy-five, seventy-six. So that's a very thin margin. And now we're in a position where the mob of the fifty-one percent is persecuting anyone who yes. voted for Trump, really. And that's 75 million Americans. It's a great point. It's a great point. I mean, this week, to again, relate it to contemporary events with, you know, whether it's the FBI raid and you've got basically all of the mainstream media except Fox, as usual, on page, they're all giving the exact same talking points. It's like a literal document they must get every morning from, I suppose it's the Democratic Party, and they just repeat the same lines, you know, whether it's phrases like rule of law or our democracy or whatever, and they're just justifying the entrenched power, right? So it's like, well, we're going to basically raid Trump's house and then imprison him, and 
well, of course we're going to do this. That's that's what you do in, for the sake of justice or democracy or the rule of law, right? But and it's tyranny in a way. Exactly. It's just a fancy way for them to dress up in these in these terms what happens in tyrannical governments, which is again go back to like certain Latin American or African countries. What do you do when you win an election? The first thing you do is you imprison your political opponents. But there it's just raw power. It's just expected. Of course you do that, right? Um, everyone understands how corrupt it is, but we have this weird veneer, right? Where it's like, oh, this is what democracy requires. <laughs> you imprison your political opponents, right? So, yeah. you know, that makes it extra ridiculous. And they wheel out polls to justify certain things. Well, the majority believes X. So, of course, that's got to be right. But of course, we went back to your point, Nick. I mean, the whole point of a democracy, or sorry, of a constitutional republic is to say, it doesn't matter if the majority thinks you shouldn't be allowed to own a handgun. The Constitution gives us that right. And of course, even more than that, uh, there has to be a political culture that backs up the Constitution, without which it's just words on paper. So eventually, you know, having this kind of tyranny, you know, which we call a democracy or whatever, it's going to end up undermining the Constitution itself. Because if everyone ends up getting on board, the judges and so on, well, Basically, the people won't have rights anymore. So what does Plato uh, conclude from all of this? What does he say is uh, the ideal society if he does say one? Well, he, yeah, he does. I mean, that's, that's the point of the Republic. He develops it over a series of books. Um, then he gives some objections, and then he justifies it in the end. But... You know, I think it's telling that the final passage in the Republic, and we've talked about this before, is actually a parable, which he gets from, from Persia. And he says, um, and, and also from the ancient Greeks uh, and from Homer. And he says, well, some say, and he doesn't say this is my view, but it clearly is his view. He says, some say that, you know, the way the world really works is this, you know, and, and he basically tells the story of a monotheistic God. And he tells a story of an afterlife during which you're judged for the things that you do in this life. And he says, look, I'm not sure if this is true. It does accord with my experience, but I don't know for sure. But even if it's not true, he says, this is the kind of thing that should be taught in, a, in an ideal republic. Because most people, you know, going back to his view about people, most people can't deal with infinite freedom very well. And it's even worse when they have this infinite freedom and they're in an oligarchy where they're being guided to basically indulge whatever is, is most pleasurable. And he says, that's the kind of epitome of a degenerate society. And so to guard against that, we, we hope to set up institutions where the wise basically, they don't rule over the less wise tyrannically. Instead, they guide them through education and through through good social norms to become the best version of themselves they can be. But because they, there tends to be a degeneration in all societies, right? Plato is not a utopian. Even in his, his ideal society, he thinks will degenerate. But he thinks that these kinds of, these religious tales, these religious stories, which he happens to believe, he thinks that that'll be an extra safeguard against this degeneracy. So really in the Republic, it's not like a tirade against democracy. He's really sort of recognizing democracy along with some other forms of government um, is especially susceptible to this kind of like 
failure for the reasonable part of society to, to, to guide the less reasonable part. He sees it as one element among many where basically people are not practicing eudaimonia. They're not exercising the virtues. And he thinks that, again, requires two things. One, probably religion. And two, the wisest among us guiding us, not ruling over us, but ruling in the sense of, yes, they have more power, but they use their power in order to guide everyone to be the best version of themselves they could be. And interestingly, he predated Christ by about 400 years. And then when Christ comes along, that also has an extremely radical, of course, many would argue the most influential impact on eudaimonia and Western culture in terms of the monotheistic religion and the government and the Republic. And we see all of that pulled together to form the United States of America in by the founding fathers. Right. Yeah. But also some of the other, obviously all of the European societies and, and their, and their, you know, their progeny, including Australia, so are they constitutional republics though? Well, Australia is, right? I mean, at least No. Well, our constitution's a bit of a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's more a common law based, but yeah, I mean, look, um I think yes, this is this is an important topic, which is you know, there's this there is a continuum between what Plato and Aristotle were up to and how society gets recreated by the Christians. And remember that Plato and especially Aristotle are revived and even revered by the Catholics, right? So, I mean, Augustine, Aquinas, and even the contemporary Catholic Church, although there's some degeneracy there, as you know, but this tradition anyway, Mm -hmm. this tradition reveres Plato and Aristotle. And they take on board, actually, you know, the Greeks thought there were four main virtues and and it's expanded to, to seven under Christianity. And so I see this as really a continuum of, of Western civilization. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way of, of putting it. Um, and, and I think that my point with it, pulling it all together was that America, the very fact that it's still standing and that they are using democracy to try and attack it and bring it down uh, yeah. gives, yeah. Um, I think Plato would probably have a bit of a grin on his face. Yeah, and, and to your point, actually, Nick, I hadn't really thought about this this point, but you know, fusing fusing together this this tale that Plato ends on with his overall theory of the just society, you know, Jefferson, who is probably the most well-read of the founding fathers, a, a genius as well, you know, he he was a deist. He believed in a God. It's not clear, you know, he had his doubts about Christianity. Most of the other founders were Christian. But he, he was a deist, definitely a theist. He believed in a God and a monotheist. But, you know, he wasn't sure about the miracles and some of the more specific claims in the Bible. But he did make it clear that he wanted the Bible to be taught. He thought that it was essential for, you know, a, demo, a, a democratic people, as we may put it, or a Republican people to have this overall framework um, to to give them a little bit more incentive, you know, to push themselves, perfect themselves and become a little bit more like, you know, what this, what this ideal um, vision that Christianity teaches um, and, and, and how it can discipline us. 